This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes. And if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it. Would you like to sample some of my nuts? Hey, good evening, everybody. This is a new episode of Old Man Strength. I am your host tonight, Chris Shipley. My co-host, Tim Johnson, is uh, out tonight. He's got a family event with his daughter, so we called in the troops, so to speak, and uh, brought on our co-host from Hawk's Eye View. I won't, I won't hold that against him, uh, Drew Shipley. And, Drew, let's just get this out of the way right now. We'll play this. Did you win? No, we are not related. <laughs> no, we are not related. Everybody asks us. We are not related. Drew, how are you tonight? I'm great, Chris. It's nice to get a little Cyhawk vibe here on Old Man Strength tonight. So I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, how are you feeling about your cyclones, Chris? Uh, I am. I was feeling great until that lineman started running his mouth at the press conference today, giving him all kinds of of uh, bulletin board material talking about how it's a night game and they don't know what they're coming in for and everything else. Hey, you know what, dude? Shut your mouth. Let's not get them all riled up. We don't need to get them all upset. And uh, that's just, I, that, we don't need to do that. <laughs> you know, the crappy thing about it, Chris, is like the weather for Ames on Saturday is actually projected to be pretty nice considering for mid-November, right? So Yeah, like 60 that. degrees. And I know I would have... <laughs> I'm 50-50 on that, too. I would prefer, you know, blowing snow and everything else, but I didn't want to sit through that. And, frankly, last year I sat through that at the Texas Tech game, and that didn't help us. So (laughs) all I did was just freeze to death. So, And uh, on a side note, too, Drew, uh, happy Veterans Day. Thank you for your service. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it was a good weekend, a nice little long weekend out here in uh, D.C. I bet. Well, nobody's tuning in to listen to us, so – I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest as she sits there awkwardly listening to us (laughs) back and forth. Uh, But uh, I'm extremely privileged and honored uh, that she agreed to come on. Uh, Kaylin Thompson, WHO uh, TV 13 morning anchor. Uh, I appreciate you staying up late so you can come on with us tonight. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And just to echo, happy Veterans Day to Drew. And I also thought you two might be related when I saw the last names, but glad we got that cleared up. You know, Kaylin, it's not exactly like the last name of a Smith or yeah, right? Right? Johnson, you know. Thompson, like, yeah. Uh, uh, Chris is actually the second uh, Shipley family that I know of, of no relation whatsoever. I believe yeah. there's some there's some Marshalltown folks. Yep. Okay. I believe some Ottumwa, Oskaloosa, Southern Iowa folks as well. So sure. I'm not 100% sure how many of us there are, but there's more than I thought. Interesting. Okay. And from what I've been told, and I don't know, my dad was kind of a storyteller, so I don't know how accurate this is, but apparently before the Civil War, Shipley was a fairly popular name from the South, and several of that obviously died in the Civil War. Uh, I'm going to go with that because apparently there's a very popular donut chain down there called Shipley, so that's what I'm going with. That's that's my claim to fame. I once got asked on a phone call when I worked at Wells Fargo, if I had ever heard of Shipley's Donuts, and I said no, but I eat a lot of donuts, so that's close enough. <laughs> so. I like but it. Kate, go ahead, Drew. No, I'm good. I like it. Uh, there's actually one random Shipley Donuts up here in uh, East Maryland. That it's kind of weird because it is mainly a Texas chain, and there's some few, a few places in Arkansas and Louisiana, I believe, that also have Shipley Donuts. But we have one one store in the entire state of Maryland. It's about 45 minutes away. And I have yet to be there, so I'm going there soon. I need to. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't make a special trip. From what I saw when I was in Texas, it's kind of like the Walmart of, of donut shops. It's, Chris, you just don't like Texas. Let's just face it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I got all kinds of Texas heat. All right. So, Kaylin, I uh, appreciate you coming on. 
Uh, why don't you tell? I give you a brief review, but why don't you why don't you tell our listeners more about uh, about Kaylin Thompson? Sure. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, um, I'm the morning anchor for Today in Iowa on Dibway Show 13 News. Um, I started there back in November of 2020. So my work anniversary is coming up on the 16th, actually. So just a couple of days, it'll mark three years. Um, I grew up watching Channel 13 because I grew up in Norwalk, Iowa, was born in Des Moines. So go Warriors. I'm an alumni from Norwalk. And then after high school, went on to Wartburg College to study broadcast journalism. I loved going to school up there in Waverly. My first job when I graduated college was up in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, It was a CBS affiliate, KIMT News 3, and it was like a split coverage area of North Iowa and Southern Minnesota. So that was a really good, you call them stepping stone to kind of get your experience, learned a lot, met some great people. But my goal was to always come back home, and I met that goal. So I'm happy to be here. Great. That, that's that's super great. That's kind of where we wanted to start. You you, you grew up in Norwalk. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about what it was like growing mm-hmm. up in a, in a small town. Norwalk is, believe it or not, has that small town feel, but it's so close to everything. Can, kind of tell me, what was it like growing up in that small town and and, and how it shaped you? Absolutely. I'm really glad I went and I did. I feel like it's getting really big, um, but it will always kind of have that small town charm to me. Um, I grew up there where everyone kind of knew everyone. Um, a small enough grade where I knew everyone who walked across a graduation stage, which I really liked. Um, I was really active within school and growing up, um, played sports volleyball, softball, basketball, ran track a couple years just to stay in shape, but was not very fast. <laughs> um, was in music, choir, um, show choir, did band in middle school. I don't know. I just really liked staying busy. I had an older brother, so that was fun. Um, he was just three years older than me, so we were close enough in age where we got along and still could support each other throughout our school activities. Um, My parents worked in Des Moines. My mom is a labor and delivery nurse, and my dad is in the military. Um, He worked at the Iowa Air National Guard. Yeah, based um, at the Des Moines (laughs) airport. So he had just retired last year. Um, So he's kind of transitioning to that retired life. But so he's driving yeah. your mom nuts is basically what he's doing. He is. Honestly, that's been a transition more for her, I think, than him. Oh, man. So that's been kind of an interesting watch. But, no, I'm really proud of where I come from. And um, it was a really supportive community and still is. And I'm just proud to be a Norwalk warrior, proud to be a Warburg Knight, and feels good to be back home in Des Moines. Des Moines is definitely home. I'll bet. Uh, K- Caitlin uh, was also uh, ran track and, and uh, was in show choir. She was a big show choir. So I spent many a Saturdays in a random gym yeah. trying to watch the Iowa State Cyclone basketball game on my phone mm-hmm. while I was waiting for her five-minute stint on the, on the stage. <laughs> supportive so, dad. Supportive dad. That's right. Yes, yes. absolutely. You bet. You bet. It is a lot of hurry up and wait and sit around and wait, but my – my, it was my dad who said, like, out of all the activities I ever did growing up, show choir was his favorite. I don't know why. Maybe just music is a universal language. And so that's what it, it was enjoyed fun. the most. I, I do look back and miss it. Uh, but, yeah, yeah it, it was always fun. I, did, I didn't miss the track meets, mostly because Caitlin threw shot put and then ran the very last weight race of the thing. So there was no getting out of there. Yeah. I, I, there I, I was there haul. at the beginning and I was there at the end. So. Four by four, right? That's the last yes. one. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Luckily, by her senior year, she quit that. So she was just <laughs> she was just throwing shot and discus. <laughs> there you go. You bring up a good point, Chris. Of, of sitting around and waiting, it's, it's kind of a military thing too. But like, literally, like the the arts and stuff, you get your like 10, 11 minute window, mm-hmm. and you wait there all day to see that. And then, what takes so long to get your your ratings? Why, why does it take like an hour, an hour and a half to find out you got a one or a one plus on your trumpet solo? Like, what, it what, is. Are, we, what are we doing here? 
I don't know what it's, I guess it's, there's a method to the madness of the judging or the critique. And I know they write a lot of notes, but I guess, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know why it takes so long. I mean, I guess you get the best in show rating, right? So you have yeah. to you wait to see That's everybody. Right? Yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. But like, there is a lot of sitting around waiting. Definitely. It, no, for sure. It's a racket too, because <laughs> then if you make finals, then you got to go back outside and you got to uh, get back in. So that was always a racket too. And usually Caitlin's squad usually made finals. And then, you know, of course, so then I had I couldn't get out of there early. And the Sioux City show was absolutely the worst because that was clear in Sioux City. So oh, yeah. we ended up the last few years, we ended up just getting a hotel room because it was better to just stay there than to drive home. That's smart. We did competition once at like Bishop Helan. Yes. Oh, that was yeah, a track. Yeah. yeah. And that gym is terrible. It's yes. absolutely terrible. So oh, yeah. my my senior year, we played Sioux City Healing and football to uh, a four overtime game. Oh my gosh! Obviously Friday night. We we did not roll back into Newton. I grew up in Newton, Kalen. So Newton, sure. and Norwalk are, are now newer rivals, right? Oh yeah, we played uh, Newton all the time growing yeah. up. Okay. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think four four thirty in the morning we rolled into Newton. That was. They still made us come in and do do weight training at like ten o'clock. It's like what are, what are we doing? Here? <laughs> oh, that's brutal. We we won the game in four overtimes, and you know it was like no no reward. What's up? <laughs> what's up with Victory Saturdays that didn't happen? I guess not. Wait, so how do you say where you're from? Newton. Okay, you do the the T. So growing up, my dad would be like, "Hey, where's your game tonight?" I'm like, Newton. He's like. <laughs> New on, and I was like, I'm sorry, Newton. Like, <laughs> I don't know, is that a thing? Do you guys notice that? Well, long O's. So, usually, when you say it fast, like yeah. you say, like Newton, yeah, so like it, I, it, it depends. So, like, you're a reporter, right? You're a journalist, so <laughs> you want to enunciate correctly, right? Um, I, I think mainly the people from Newton just say Newton, sure. Um, but I'm a military uh, journalist as well, Kaylin. So I, okay. I came out here to Fort Meade, Maryland, and, and learned how to be a journalist from a military point of view, uh, doing photog stuff and, and writing and whatnot. And so, like, if I'm saying it in a story, sure. I will say Newton. But like, just in casual conversation, it's just Newton. Okay. Know? kind of weird glad you clear that up so wait public affairs or what's the term public, so it used to be called public affairs specialist yes uh and and we have now transitioned to uh mass communications specialist okay. so we, we learn a variety of things to include podcasting radio on-camera stuff journalism uh photography it's kind of all inclusive uh now that they kind of consolidated all of our training uh, more recently. So it's, it's kind of interesting to uh, yeah do it on the military side and get paid for it. So it was pretty, pretty rad. Oh, for sure. My dad always tried to like recruit me to do that, but I just never took that bait. I knew <laughs> I was going to do this, but he's like, you should be getting like the benefits of it. But here we are. I, I think what it is, Kaylin, is he didn't want to pay for your college. <laughs> Maybe that guy. I know, but <laughs> my brother Especially got all the like, I, Yeah, no joke. <laughs> Um, my, I, my brother got like half of the, it's called the GI, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we had to split that, but here we are still paying those go. student loans. <laughs> I remember my dad once said, cause I told him I was going to go to Iowa state and he really uh-huh. wanted me to stay closer. And he's like, well, why don't you try to go to Drake? And I was like, dad, have you looked at the prices of Drake? And he's like, well, no. And so we looked it up and he's like, yeah, I, I think, I think Ames is a good place for you. He said, that, that <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Uh, so why journalism? What, what made you choose journalism? Yeah. So when I was in high school, um, my cousin, Zach, served overseas in Afghanistan, and he was actually injured by an IED. Um, he ended up being okay, but he had a hero's homecoming um, at the Waterloo Airport. And as a family, we went to go welcome him home. And it was my mom who noticed that a reporter was there. You know, she had a camera and was getting video and interviewing my aunt and uncle and just kind of gathering the story of the day. So she's like pointed her out and said, wow, she looks like she has a pretty cool job. And I'm like, yeah, she does. So I was just kind of watching her do her thing. And then as a family that evening, we went home and watched the story on the news. And I think that just when it really clicked with me that, 
wow, it'd be really cool to tell stories for a living. So that's kind of how that seed got planted. Um, and so I was a freshman, sophomore in high school at that point, And then just kind of stuck with me of like, okay, that's what I wanted to do. So that's why I chose Warburg to go because they have a really good broadcast journalism program, could get experience right away with their um, on-campus television studio and station. And and I could start right away as a freshman and not like if I went to a state school, like, okay, you don't get to do your major classes right. until junior, senior year. So sure. I figured out that's what I wanted to do. And I liked it. And I got internships from there and got the experience. And it's a job where you learn something new every day, meet someone new, experience something new. It's like really a backstage pass to life. So um, I just feel really privileged and honored to tell people stories because um, you don't realize like how big of an impact that storytelling can really have. Absolutely. What? I've got a couple questions, but Drew, you yeah. go ahead first. Because well, I've want, got a couple. And I just wanted to ask Kaylin what her favorite part of Waverly, the town itself, was during your college college years. What What did you like about Waverly? Um, it was really welcoming. So I'm a really indecisive person, but like my on-campus visit to Wartburg, I knew right away this is where I wanted to go. And like even back to the price tag, my dad was like, of course you do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But it was really, I don't know. I just really loved the community aspect of it. It was really w warm and welcoming. Um, I have family who live up in Northeast Iowa. So I felt like I was going more towards them versus away. So you know, grandma could help me with a load of laundry or two every now and then or go get a home cooked meal. So I just really fell in love with the campus and fell in love with the Waverly community. Um, and there is just such that piece of nostalgia when I go back to visit. I have a couple of friends who still live in the area. So it's always fun to go back and homecoming. Was it just last fall? It was my five year reunion since I graduated. And I'm just like, what? I just feel like wow. I graduated. So it's yeah. going fast for sure. So five years, that puts you at 2018. So you chose to become a journalist at a time that, and I, and we tend not to get too political on this on this podcast, but the, the history does show that, you know, it, during that administration in that time, journalists were not necessarily held in a certain regard that they were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. So was that difficult? Did, did that affect your decision? I, I mean, I, I would I would say that it's fairly brave to do that. I would say the same thing when it comes to teachers and, and doctors and nurses uh, to and, and police officers as well. I mean, they're, they're, some are vilified in, in, by certain people or whatever. Um, and, you know, we've had this conversation with Elias who when, when he was on and Dave Price mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So you being a, a, a young journalism just getting into it, what were your feelings about that kind of stuff when that was happening? I don't really think I thought about it, to be honest. I think I just knew I wanted to do it, but it's really a job that you learn as you go and you, like, you learn with the experience piece and you do learn like, oh, you're not always going to be liked based on like the stories you tell um, and like it can ruffle feathers um, but then it's like your job to be unbiased and try to tell the story in an equal and fair light. Um, but I also think like the role or not maybe the role, but just journalism in and of itself has just changed in like the past decade. Mm -hmm. Um Cause like when I grew up watching news, it was just such appointment television. Like my family always sat down to dinner and the news was on channel 13, but now it's not really like that. So I'm interested to see selfishly. And also just because like, what's going to happen in the next five or 10 years for journalism, because people don't really watch TV anymore and it is all social media and it is all digital and online. So I think that's changed a lot of it too. And also when you just mentioned like the political climate of people might not really have like a trust in the media, which is just really sad because it used to not really be like that. 
We got a question from a from a viewer, Dave Larson <laughs> says, "What one story have you covered that stands out the most, and is there a story you're most proud of?" Oh gosh, this is always such a tough question because. It's like there's a saying that's like you're only as good as your last story and sometimes just when you do cover so much you have to be like on that certain day the expert of that certain topic for that day and then like you move on to the next thing but as far as something that stands out i think just because it's like the most recent it was probably sharing my own health journey um that was a really standout because it was really surreal to have like the camera flipped um i was used to be the interviewer and then i was like the interviewee so i think i developed like a empathy for people who do share their story because it's not easy and like there is a trust piece because you're really sharing it to the masses, Um, but I guess another, and I'm just spitballing too, another big topic would have been COVID and all the different ways we covered that. Um, That just radically changed everyone's lives too. And so I think that almost really shone a spotlight too on the role of news and journalism because people really turned to us for answers mm-hmm. and information and then they did with that as they wish but that was also <laughs> really and like that was an interesting time too because when the pandemic first started i was still in minnesota and like we were like working from home but like still reporting so at, at that station they gave us like desktop computers to take to our like apartments because we were all green reporters like and we had our cameras and we would go to the different press conferences or talk to the different doctors or whatever and then but sometimes like go live from our apartments it was just so strange but I mean we had a job to do and we had questions and other people had questions so it was our job to get those answers for sure you talked about turning the camera around to yourself, Kaylin, and it's kind of what I really enjoyed about what Megan Ruther does on Hello Iowa. Uh, I, I believe I believe you've been on there. I've seen Aaron Kiernan on there uh, several times. I, I, I like seeing those stories and 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 you folks being like real people, right? Like you're not just you're not just a face behind the camera or in front of the camera telling stories. Um, you guys are also people too, right? Yes. Yeah, and I and I hope people like see that um, because I think in the role of like a journalist, especially a broadcast journalist, when you do have to, I don't want to say like put up a front, but like you have to present yourself in a certain way or people expect you to look a certain way or sound a certain way or be a certain way. Um, it can be like a little exhausting or you have to feel like you have to be perfect and you're not, I mean, we're all human. Right. And um Every, everyone has things going on behind the scenes that people have no idea about. Um, but also at the end of the day, like you have a job to do and you try to keep your personal life personal and professional and, and do your job to the best of your ability for sure. But I also, I think, I, I hope people try to see like who I am as a person. And I try to portray that because, and I think one thing about Channel 13 too is, with all the talent, like what you see is what you get. I mean, everyone is very genuine and very kind. Um, And like how they are on TV is exactly how they are in the newsroom and exactly how they are like when you see them on the street. So I think that's like one of the things I like most about working at Channel 13 for sure. Yeah, that's a good group over there. I was just texting Elias uh, a little bit ago because uh, I saw – I saw uh, Aaron Kiernan's uh, preview of uh, the talk about Strive Academy tonight. Yeah. And uh, Josh and Jordan, my two stepsons, graduated from that uh, program in May. Mm-hmm. So I just did text him. I said, what What a coincidence. The boys had just finished that that program. And he, you know, he texts back and we had a couple you know, laughs about a few other things. But he's yeah, they're, they're all pretty down to earth. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you this fun question and then we're going to take a break and we'll get into why I'm bringing you on here. But 
what what was your you know we interviewed you know different sports athletes and whatever and that you know the famous question is is what was your welcome to the nfl moment what was your welcome to the tv reporter moment is this like something that like bad happened or something that you can make it whatever you want you can make it whatever you want i'm just telling you you're you're in this business you know bad is much more fun and much much more entertaining (laughs) but you choose whatever you want i don't even know that is such a good question i'm sure once we log off i'll like be trying to go to bed tonight like i should have said this i don't know i think I think like just starting out or even like when I first started at like channel 13, like you get nervous and like your heart races and you're like nervous to be on TV because you are, but like, I think once you would kind of really get in a groove, you don't think about that as much. Yeah. Um, And it just becomes like more comfortable or second nature So I don't know if there's like really a moment, but I do think there's like a comfortability that you gain or just you kind of feel more at home in a way. I don't know. I'm not answering this question as good. That's all right. You think about it. Maybe we'll come back to it later. I I will tell you that uh, it's funny because I don't know that it was a coming to, you know, moment, but I, I got interviewed uh, several years ago, uh, when Marty Terrell was being, uh, uh, on trial and so forth, I'm, uh, my father and I were one of his early, early victims back in the mid nineties. And I had messaged, uh, Keith and Andy about it. And, uh, Andy called me and he said, can we, can we interview you? I'm going to send a reporter over. I was like, yeah, I'm working at Capitol square. I can meet him, you know, here in an hour. And I walked down there and this <clears throat> poor reporter was probably, he had to be 21. <laughs> And he looked like he got rolled out of bed. He had this wrinkled shirt on. And I was like, this poor kid got called like in a hurry and is like, he, I felt so bad for him because he was, <laughs> but he just looked like he pulled his, his suit coat out of his dirty laundry. And it was just a pure college student. Mm-hmm. Like this kid was not prepared for this phone call. So oh yeah, kind of funny. So we've all had those moments and like, we've all gotten those middle of the night breaking news calls. And it's just like, Oh man, but it's like someone's gotta go, and yeah, That's you right. just like put on whatever's closest and just run out the door, and there you go. But yeah, let me think on like the moment. I all right, we'll I come back know. to it. We'll okay. come back to it. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna get a word from our primary sponsor, Revelton Distilling Company. Uh, check out Revelton down at Osceola, fourteen hundred West Clay Street. Check out their tasting room. Uh, their spirits are you know at any uh, retail location. And uh, uh, we're going to have a big event down there on December 9th that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But let's get a let's get a quick word and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Kaylin about um, her journey. So at Revelton Distilling Company, everyone has become a part of the Revelton family from the Taylors and their daughter who helped perfect their award winning gins to the team who installed Lucy, our 33 foot tall custom made still right down to the local farms that provide our coveted corn and even the cows on those farm who consume our mash byproduct. Want to see the farm to flask come to life? Now you can tour Lucy and find out where we take Iowa's harvest and transform it into our finest spirits. Choose between a 45-minute tour or find out even more by scheduling a VIP behind-the-scenes tour to get the taste of the full Revelton experience. You can visit them at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or... Find all of Revelton's award-winning spirits at any local grocery or spirits retailer. Oh, such great folks down there. We really appreciate they give us great support, and uh, we look forward to seeing them uh, next month. So, Kaylin, um, I think your your story was pretty well documented in the early, and then you uh, did something that I, I think you should be really proud of, and I'll tell you why. Um, you... Uh, basically as you said earlier turn the camera around and 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 made it about yourself and uh i don't know that you know this i don't know that we've had a conversation about this but i uh had was diagnosed with esophageal cancer in 2017 mm-hmm. uh in september of that year uh i had woke up passed out a couple times they found some blood in my in my system and they had found a small tumor mm-hmm. um and i had went through 6 weeks of chemo radiation as a matter of fact, my doctor was Dr. Broker as well. 
He's such a sweetheart. Uh, I, I will tell you, the Drew, you will love this story. The very first time I met Dr. Broker, I was sitting in his room. I had an Iowa State shirt on, and he walked oh. in, and he goes, Iowa State fan? I said, yeah, I graduated from there. Couldn't get into the good school, so he went to a secondary college. <laughs> and I said, that's how we're starting this whole conversation, Doc? Like, that's how we're going to start this? So, and ever since then, every meeting, every every conversation we had was five minutes about cancer diagnosis and 25 minutes about the hawks in a cycle. So... Uh, love him to death. So, yes. Um, but when I went through that, I remember several times uh, thinking to myself, if I, I'm going to get emotional. Uh, if I get through this, I'm going to make sure everybody knows what people did for me, whether it was my family and my friends, the doctors and God. So when I saw that you had decided to do that story, I thought, I don't even know you. I'm really proud of that because you have no idea probably how many people you have probably helped. Thank so, you. So I appreciate that. So with that, let's talk about how you got diagnosed and what, what the symptoms were and how you got diagnosed in that first day. Because I remember when I got told I was in a room and it was just me and my wife and there was about 30 minutes there where I had to, I had to really process a lot of things fairly quickly. Definitely. Yeah. It's such, it's a gut punch when you find out. Um, but it was actually like this time of year, a year ago is like when this process really all started. I had found a lump in my left breast. I'm really close with my mom. And I was like, Mm, what is this? Like, feel this. And she's like, oh yeah, I feel something. You might want to get that checked out. I just moved back like a year prior from Minnesota. So I hadn't really gotten like a primary care physician. Like I think I had a pediatrician in Norwalk, but like I needed probably to get like a doctor, like a one I could go see regularly. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go knock this out. And so met with my primary care physician. She also felt it. And then she said, yeah, we might just want to get an ultrasound. They might biopsy it. At your age, I was 27 at the time. Um, it'll probably be a fibroid. I don't think you have much to worry about. I'm like, okay. So we get that set up. Um, and the radiologist also felt it. They did the ultrasound thing and we did end up taking a biopsy to it. And it was funny when I went into that appointment, he almost like gave me the choice. He's like, well, we can wait. I mean, at 27, it'll be a fibroid or we can just kind of knock it out. It's whatever you want to do. And I, I asked him like, well, what do you think? And he said, you know, if you were my wife, mom, grandma, aunt, I would say, let's just get it done. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, and I'm obviously really glad I did, but there was a good chance I, I may have not because I had like a trip coming up the next month, you know, you just you put things off right but i ended sure. up scheduling the biopsy and so i got that done on a monday november 28th and it was november 30th a wednesday when i got the call i worked the morning shift i'd taken a nap that afternoon it's like i just kind of gotten up from that nap and i was a little groggy and i saw a 515 number come up on my phone and so I figured, oh, this will just be that phone call. It'll be a quick one. I won't have much. It won't be that big of a deal. So I answered it, and it was a radiologist on the other end of the phone. And he's like, hey, do you have a minute to go over your results? And I was just like, oh, no. Like, yeah. if it wasn't a big deal. And it was like 4 or 5 o'clock. So it's like, you know, end of his day. And, you know, you just your mind starts racing. I'm like, oh, no. And then... It was like just those words of it did end up being invasive ductal carcinoma. And like, you just feel like the wind gets knocked out of you. Um, Cause like, it's just like everything flashes before you and you just realize like how things are going to change. And like, I had to have him like spell it for me. And it was like just such a whirlwind and it's like hard to even go back there because it's just oh, you think yeah. about so much. And like, I remember asking him the question, like, like, am I going to like 
die? Cause like, that's what you think right away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's like, you know, we're going to get you your doctors and you're going to fight this. And, you know, he was like, it's a common thing. I mean, and people go through it, but like, there's a treatment plan and we're going to get you your appointments. And it's like that phone call ended, but then it was like, I had to like sit with it for a minute. And then it was hard because then it's like, now I had to like tell my parents. And you were by yourself. Yeah. Like I was in my apartment like this. And um, it's like, it was just like a lot because it's like one thing to get that news, but then it's another thing to like have to tell people. And like, I like, you don't want to tell your parents that because you just, I don't know. You don't want to worry them. And it was like hard for me to even say it, you know, because talk about processing, like you're just hit with this and then you have to like tell someone else. And it's like, you don't believe it. Like you're in denial or you're, you're in shock. Um, so like I tried calling my mom, but like she didn't answer cause she was at the gym. So then I called my dad and he was still working at the time. And like, I could barely get the words out, but then he just came and picked me up. And then they took, he took me to my parents' house and that's where we met up with my my mom and then they invited over my brother and my sister-in-law and they have a little son. Um, he was two at the time. And so, you know, we just kind of like the family meeting of like, okay, like this is what's going on, but we're going to fight this. And, and then, and I just kind of also had to like gear up for like work the next day to get up yeah. at like 3am. But I think I wanted it to just be, like I wanted to go to work because I just wanted to feel normal. Right. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, that was, it's just, it's like really surreal to think like I'm coming up on a year on that. Um, but it's like the initial phone call is like the first gut punch, but then it's like, you don't even know what comes next. Like, you know, things are about to change, but mm-hmm. it is a, it's a whirlwind for sure. Yeah, so it, it, it kind of kind of brings me to the idea of how hard it is to deliver bad news, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in my personal family, I remember my, my old man always complaining that my grandparents wouldn't tell him what was go- going on with them med- medically. And now, you know, my dad's treating me the same way of not telling me what's going on with him. And, you know, in some aspects, I have a hard time delivering bad news back up the chain, right? You're in the news industry, so you, you you potentially deliver bad news every day. Yeah. And then, you know, those those doctors and, and radio techs and whatnot deliver new, bad news every day. So yeah. I can't imagine dealing with that that big of a that big of bad news to like what's next? How how are we gonna um how how are we gonna move forward, right? Right. Well, it's like interesting you bring that up because that was just such a like a theme, I think, within the journey of like at first, I mean, I I told my my family and like loved ones um, and like that was really tough. But then I really just wanted it to be really private, I think, just because of my job. Like I didn't want anyone to know at first Um, just because I think I had to like process it. And I just knew it was going to be such a visual disease in like a visual career. So I think I had to come to terms with that or just deal with that in my own way. But I will say like one thing that I found or that I just really reflected on within my journey was how like the people I met within the different phases, how they were able to deliver news to me and like how much that stuck with me. Um, like Chris mentioned, Dr. Tom Baroker. Um, he was my oncologist as well. And just the way he is able to deliver news and like puts me at ease because he just made me believe like, okay, we're going to fight this. We're going to get this done. We're going to get you back on track. So like that was huge. My surgeon, Dr. Scott Hamling was amazing because he's actually the one um, I met first before Dr. Broker, 
And he is the one who went through the treatment plan. And I, I asked him, like, am I going to lose my hair? And he said, yes. And it's funny because that's when it, like, hit me. Mm, yeah. Like, you, like, that was the second gut punch for me. And I think probably for a lot of, of women and, and maybe men, too. Um, can't really speak on that. But um, and then even just, like, the role of the radiologist, right? They're, like, the first person you come in contact with. Yeah. So it's like they have such a, a job, um, like delivering that news like via a phone call. Um, but then I also spoke with the radiologist after the fact. Um, and it was like a full circle moment, too, because last October, during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I brought in a radiologist to the morning show to talk about mammograms and what people need to keep in mind. And that was like a month before I got my own diagnosis, which I just yeah. thought was maybe like a spiritual thing of, okay, it was like preparing me for that. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that was like an accident, um, but it was that radiologist, Dr. Jill Westerkamp, who I spoke with again this past October. Um, and I was like, man, you have a hard job, like telling people like their life is forever changed. But she also said, Yes, but I also get to tell people that, you know, they have a chance to fight it and like there's things we can right. do. So I think it's all about perspective and like that is something you really gain during this journey is is perspective and how to go about things for sure. There are so many avenues that I want to take this conversation just mm -hmm. based off of the first answer to your question, because it's so many things I remember. I'll touch base on this when it comes to the doctors and, and so on, the one thing that struck me was every Monday when I would go into the, to chemo to get my treatment, the nurses would look at you and they were polite and bubbly and, and happy and they knew your name and they knew what you needed and they, you know, would comfort you and, and all these things. And about halfway through it, it dawned on me, there's people that don't make it. And they live and breathe with these guys, with these people. And mm -hmm. I have no idea of the grief that they're going mm -hmm. through, but you wouldn't know it because when I walked into the door, I was the most important person to them. And they, they, and it just struck me as amazing, an amazing ability. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is, is I, I look back at the time that I was that I was diagnosed and, and I was lucky enough to have my wife with me in the room. And, you know, we, we, we processed it for a little bit. And I remember just looking at her. We had only been married. I, we, we got married in 2011. I was diagnosed in 2017. We had met in 2008, 2009. And I remember just looking at her and saying, I don't believe in a God that brought us together that's going to take us away. And that was my mindset. I was not going to let it beat me. And I also remember the first night in the hospital, laying up in the middle of the night, looking and Googling survival rates for esophageal cancer. And I thought to myself, this is a bad fucking idea. Because yeah. none of these people are me. And that, it, you can go to a dark place pretty quick. Absolutely. That actually, my radiologist visit, um, like one of the, the texts was like, don't Google. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Because, and she gave me such good advice. She said, because that was even an appointment. Like I found out on the Wednesday and I had to go back on a Friday to do more ultrasounds. Or like I got my first mammogram, like at mm -hmm. 28. And then they found a couple more spots and I was like, Oh my God, I like went from bad for, to worse. Right. So right. we're checking that out. And I was just having a moment with this tech and I was just like, I don't know what I did. Like, I don't know why this is happening. And she's like, Hey, you got to just keep moving forward. Like you can't think about what happened or what you could have done or what you didn't do because like, that doesn't matter anymore. Like you have to think about what's ahead. Um, and so I think that was like the best advice. And she's like, don't Google. And I didn't because you could really spiral yourself. Right. Um, 
Be- and that's like because like that can like not put it into perspective, but it's just like it is the realization that like people don't always survive. Right. And like I, that is hard to think about. The the advice that she gave you of moving forward and that and, and where you were thinking, you know, why this or whatever, I, there was a profound moment uh, at a, uh, I was probably second weekend and I had found this motivational video on YouTube that I would watch every Monday night after chemo and it was called Why Do They Fail? And it was clips of different speeches and movies and whatever. And as cliche as it sounds, the very first clip of that was from the Rocky Balboa movie when his mm-hmm. dad, when his son was older and he would say, you know, this isn't fair, this isn't fair. And he said, you know, you you can, life can beat you into the street and kick the crap out of you and you got one of two choices. You can lay there and take the beating or you can get up and walk. And that's what winners do. And I remember watching that. I mean, this was six years ago. I still get emotional. I remember watching that every Monday night and going, I can win, I can win, I can win. And Caitlin came upstairs and she, it was her senior year in high school. She had all these things that was going to come up and she came up and she just started bawling. Mm. And I was like, what's the matter? And she said, it isn't fair. Why did this happen to you? And I said, we're not doing that. Nope. we're, We're not feeling sorry for ourselves. We're moving forward and we're going to win. And this is not the year that dad got cancer. This is the year that you graduate and that the boys do this and that Tyler does this. It's not about that. We are not going to let it dictate our lives. That's always been a hard, I know this isn't a, a spiritual podcast, Chris, but uh, that's, that's always been one of my biggest things with re- religion, right? Is like, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. And like, people have a hard time giving me appropriate feedback to that question right like i don't know i don't know it's just a, a thing i was thinking about when we were talking about this so um Kaylin, i'll let you answer that but i'll tell you why i i'll tell you why i think not that he let it happen because i don't know that he let it happen and this is a question that i was going to ask you as well Kaylin. People ask me about that year and, 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 and say, we'll make a comment and go, man, that year must have, that must have been a terrible year for you in, in your life. And, you know, I say, you know what? I look back at it as my best year because I found out who loved me. I found out how many friends I, I had. I found out how many people I touched. And I found out how strong I was. Yeah. So my question to you, Kaylin, in, in, in terms of that is, is, What's a positive that you took out of this experience? I think like a lot of the reasons you just said is like it transforms you as a person and you do find out like who your friends are and you like you, you become stronger. Um, And even to answer, you know, what Drew was mentioning too, I think when you go through something like this, you can either lose your faith or it can get stronger. And I'm really grateful mine did get stronger. Um, there are many times that like at the beginning, me and my mom would just be s- sitting in church and just like, we felt like they were just speaking right to us. I'm like, it was right around Christmas. And like, I'll never forget one of the sermons was like, are you feeling like a Grinch this Christmas? Or are you feeling like Buddy the Elf? It's like, no matter where you're at, I mean, Jesus is here for you. Like, sorry if this isn't a spiritual podcast, okay. but like, it just makes it feel like you, you're you not alone. Um, and like, you may not understand like the why of why you're going through it or why, what, like the why me, like I, you, you naturally have that question, right? Like, why am I going through this? Or like, why... Like, why does my family have to deal with this? But then I think I just tried to like flip that into like my why. And I think there was a reason why I did get this as a journalist, because if like I could help someone, then like that's that's that is my why. And like that's my reason to share. And um, 
like it's not a club you want to be a part of, but you do meet some of the best people. Um, and like, I'm so thankful for like our medical personnel that we have in, in the Metro. Um, and I'm just really thankful that I felt so cared for and supported. And so I guess, yeah, to ensure to answer your question, like I'm thankful for how it changed me as a person. Like, do I wish I didn't have to go through this? Absolutely. But I also know there's a lot more that I gained than from what I lost. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably the, 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 the best perspective way to say it. I, I like I said, I, I've said before that it was my and, and I and I also felt like I didn't want to let anybody down during it either. All these people were helping me and all these people were doing these things and people were bringing meals and, you know, people were, you know, taking care of, of, of the kids when we were at an appointment and all those things. And I felt, you know, if these guys are doing all this stuff, then I owe it to them to not feel sorry for myself mm -hmm. and not to take a break. You know, I, I prided myself on going in and working every day as best as I could and, and, and things like that and, and making sure that my coworkers didn't have to pick up the slack and things like that. And that was a badge of honor for me to, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I would tell Caitlin and, and my family, I was like, yeah, I mean, we're going to make it. That doesn't mean that the next few months aren't going to suck because mm -hmm. they do. Um, but spirituality, I mean, kind of the same thing, Caitlin. I, I, I can remember every day I would go in for radiation. I had to go in every day. And I had to lay on the um, on, on the on the the thing, and they would measure the, you know, they'd point the thing, and the ra radiation probably took fifteen minutes. But I remember always every day I I said a hail mary, I said a, a glory be, and I asked God to help the doctors and nurses do what they needed to do. And I said, if you get me out of this, I'll always tell everybody what you did for me. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a spiritual thing. Um, I, I and I. You know, I, I look back at, at some friends that I've had that haven't made it, and you sometimes wonder why they didn't, and I did. But, Drew, if you start asking those types of questions like you did, you'll drive yourself crazy. Because you're, you're never going to get the answer you're going to want. You're never going to get the answer that you want. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I could ask God all the time why the Bears lost to the Colts in that Super Bowl. But, I mean, that's a whole other story. I mean, so. that don't matter. Come on <laughs> I know, right? That's in the grand scheme of things. Jason said, God only gives the trials to the ones that share the struggles with. That's absolutely right. So, uh, Kaylin, we're going to, uh, we usually do a, a wind trust. Uh, we're going to switch gears again. We're going to talk about some fun, happy stuff, and then we'll get you out of here because I know you got to get up in the morning. Okay. Uh, but uh, we usually ask a wind trust mortgage question of the day. Uh -huh. So, Drew's going to ask you this question. We're going to play a break from from uh, for uh, for Wintrust, and then that'll give you time to think of your answer. How about that? Okay. Okay. All right, Drew, go ahead. All right, Kaylin. So we're we're just around the corner from Veterans Day, and we're going to tie this all back in. So uh, as a service member and uh, as a as a military brat, as you call yourself in your in your bio, <laughs> uh, I would like to know what branch of service you would select to join if you could or wanted to, and why. And also, what military occupation would you choose in that branch of service? Okay. Okay, so we'll get a word from Kyle, and then we'll come back with your answer, okay? Okay. Are you in the market for a new house and unsure of the mortgage process? Want to know that you have someone looking out for you? Kyle Lehman from Wintrust Mortgage is a down-to-earth, knowledgeable lender who can be there for you in your corner. He can work with you in any of the 50 states and is just what you need to expand your home search. Kyle will work with you through the entire process with little to no work from you. Take the worry of the mortgage process out of the equation so that you can focus on looking for your dream home. Contact Kyle at www.wintrust.com forward slash Kyle dash layman or call him at 515-473-0546. All right, Drew, why don't you ask that question one more time and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so uh, right around the corner again from Veterans Day, asked Kaylin what military branch of service she would join if she could or wanted to, and why, and what military occupation she would choose to do in that service. I'm I'm excited about this since since uh, 
your dad was air guard. I'm actually army national guard out here in the DC area. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear this answer. I, I think I just got to make my dad proud and go with um, air force, air national guard, and probably do the public affairs specialist <laughs> because I think it's just such a cool role. And like the military would have so many cool stories to tell. Um, and even like in my role, at, thir- at channel 13, I have gotten to go on base to tell some of those stories and there's such an interest for it. And it's cool to pull back the curtain on that. Um, and just even specifically with the 132nd wing, like that's right in people's backyards. And um, I think people really miss the days when those F-16 jets were up in the skies above us. So um, there's a bit of nostalgia there, but I think it, I'd have to do my dad proud and, and go there. All right. I can handle that. That's fine. It's still, it's still the guard. So that, yeah, that's- for sure. There you go. Uh, okay. We're going to, we're going to finish up with our last segment. So Kaylin, the, the, the story on this last segment is, is uh, Steph Copley, who is a fairly popular Twitter uh, cyclone Twitter fan. I follow her. Yeah. And has, and has her own uh, podcast on the cyclone fanatic network uh, came on last year uh and i jokingly i don't know how accurate this is but i jokingly say that stephanie told tim to shut the fuck up so she could get her point in and we <laughs> thought it was so funny that we've now established an stfu uh segment where uh in the process we uh decided to make a charitable donation to the young women's resource center every time uh that we have this segment so uh how this works is, is I'm going to play a quick clip from Steph to invite people to donate to the Young Women's Resource Center. And then we, Drew and I have to be quiet and you get to say whatever you want without us interrupting. And if that means you want to shit talk the Hawkeyes, that's fine with me. Whatever you want to do. I know. Look at the, look at the panic some, on I, your I face. For you right look here. at the pan, look <laughs> at the panic on her face. You, you get carte blanche. You can say whatever you want. So I'm going to play this quick ad and then we'll come back. About sports? Does it have to be about you sports? Can, you can be whatever you want. You want to talk bad about Elias Johnson? You can do that too. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Steph Copley, the woman behind the STFU segment on the Old Man Strength podcast. When I told the guys I wanted to sponsor this segment, they recommended that I make a charitable donation instead. So that's what I did. I chose the Young Women's Resource Center in Des Moines, Iowa. Their nonprofit that supports, educates, and advocates for girls and young women ages 10 to 24. Their whole goal is to make sure that these young women become strong, self-confident, and successful. And if you know me at all, you know that aligns with my goals as well. If you're interested and would like to donate, check them out at ywrc.com org and donate today and remember don't forget to stfu and listen every once in a while thanks all right and then such a good organization and we'll touch base on on the event that we're going to have but all right kaylin drew and i have to be quiet you can say whatever you want we can't interrupt okay well i think i just have to really you know take some time to talk about um in the theme of stfu and listen listen to your body. We're just coming out of um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And if something doesn't feel right, please go get it checked out. That's what saves lives. And that's how what saved my life. Um, the reason that I shared my story was to not be superior, but to have solidarity, because this is something that a lot of people do deal with. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's young women who deal with it. And that can be really life-changing and challenging. Um, but with that said, I just want to say thank you to all the people um, in my corner who have helped me through this journey and are still helping me. I think that's not talked about enough is that once you're done with treatment or done with the surgery piece, there's still a lot of trials and challenges you have to go through as a survivor in order to thrive, um, whether that be physically getting through those um, surgery um, effects and impacts, or even mental health wise, you know, speak up if something, um, doesn't feel right there too. And don't be afraid to go talk to someone because we were not made to have to go through something like that. It's very unnatural and there's nothing wrong with seeking professional help to go speak with someone to be about what you're feeling, um, 
or just to lay things out. Um, so I'm really rattling things off. I want to thank all my doctors and healthcare providers. That's another reason I really wanted to do a series during Breast Cancer Awareness Month is just to shine a light on the people who have helped me in my journey um, and who have helped so many other women in the Metro. Um, Dr. Broker, Dr. Hamling, um, Dr. Deming with Above and Beyond Cancer, um, Jack Moreland with Studio 409, you know, helping women get a wig and feel more like themselves. Um, there's just so many different players in, in your journey as a breast cancer patient and breast cancer survivor. And it's not one you go through alone. And I'm really thankful for that. And I'm just thankful for um, everyone, um, my parents, my family, my friends, um, and above all, like I wouldn't be here without God. So that, that's, I think what I wanted to say. Perfect. We got a couple comments. Denny wants to thank you for sharing your story. You're a strong person and helped others with it. And Dave says, Norwalk's graduated Superman, Aquaman, and now Wonder Woman. <laughs> Way to go, Caitlin. So, Aww, thanks, David. Yeah. So uh, speaking of STFU, we uh, here at Three Beards Media uh, are going to have a, uh, a big celebration at Rebelton Distilling Company on December 9th. And we are going to have a live recording uh, of our podcast. Um, and uh, we are going to have uh an auction there and raise money for uh the young women's resource center we've got some some different stuff that we're going to auction off through that so for you listeners we would love for you guys to come down it's december 9th from 12 to 2 p.m on a saturday the majority of our pods are going to come uh i don't have enough budget to fly drew in so we'll just zoom him right in uh but we would we'd love to invite everybody out there kaylin of course you were invited uh we would love to have you come down so uh, I'll, I'll just wrap up with this. I, I, I want to give another shout out for Dr. Broker. You said earlier in the, in the podcast that he was so positive and he would, you know, he, he, when you talk to him, you would not know, um, you know, how bad it would be or, or whatever. And two things. I remember one time he asked me, he said, how do you think, how are you doing, Chris? And I said, well, why don't you tell me how I'm doing, Doc? And he said, if I could write a story of somebody being able to respond to treatment, I couldn't write it as good as you're doing. Uh -huh. So that really made me feel good. And then fast forward all the way to the end, he cleared me and he said, you don't have to come back here anymore. I'm sick of looking at you. You know how he is. Yes. I love it. And he it. said, and he goes, now I'm going to tell you something. When you walked out of here that first day, I looked at my assistant and said, I give him a 5% chance of surviving. And you and you made it. Wow. But the fact that he never relayed that until afterwards, just, I mean, it's hard to process sometimes. For sure. But I, I have such a, a high regard for him. Uh, so shout out Dr. Broker. I'm sure he's yeah. listening. He, he's, <laughs> but he's helped so many people. And I'm so happy I got to interview him because... Um, like he puts it into perspective of he gets to see people to their core. Like they're people aren't worried about, you know, paying their their mortgage or, or the car. Like right. you're fighting for your life. And like he just he told me, like, what a privilege I get to do what I do. Um, but to echo what you said, yeah, he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room that you can do this. Um, he, he can be tough because he's like, you're going to work, kid. You're not going to like it. But right. We're, but I'm so thankful he did that because mental health wise, I would have went crazy if I didn't work during during chemo. Um, yeah. But oh, he is he's played so he's helped so many people and he's saved so many lives for sure. Yeah, he has. All right, Drew, you got anything else before we let her uh, go to bed? Because she's got an early morning. She's got like teacher hours. That's like my wife. She texted me <laughs> half an hour ago. She's like, I'm going to go to bed. I'm like, it's 730. She's like, I've had a long day. Yeah. So. She no, I, elementary school. So I, I just want to thank her for her time and her story, and uh, tell your dad uh, I am thankful for his service. Please, I, I will. Thank you for your service as well. 
Thank you. I don't know. Maybe I've ran into him around town. I just don't know what he looks like. <laughs> he, he's at the, the gas stations a lot. He's drinking a Diet Pepsi if you've seen him. <laughs> awesome. That's nice. All right. Uh, Kaylin, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much. Check out all the other uh, podcasts on the Three Beards Media Network. Uh, Drew and his partner, Andrew, uh, do Hawk's Eye View around 6 p.m. on Thursday nights and then do a quick pod reaction to uh, to the high-powered firing Brian Ferentz offense and, and, and basketball. I'm sure they'll do a, I'm sure they'll do a reaction pod at, at 1 o'clock in the morning tonight when the Iowa basketball team's over. Uh, Ball Don't Lie, uh, the, our gambling podcast with Teddy and Justin are on Thursday afternoons at 3 o'clock. So check out the rotation, and uh, we appreciate it. And with that, we are... <laughs>